HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, I had a, a cool weekend where I got to go visit the opening night of a new bar that my friend's the pastry chef of in Philly, actually, a place called Lock Bar, uh, which is nice. Kind of a uh, raw bar meets cocktail bar meets kind of, you know, more sort of fine dining-y type of place. Uh, the, sort, the sort of spot where I kind of walked in, it was a good thing I was wearing a shirt with buttons because it's normally the sort of thing where people come up to me like, please, sir, this is a nice place. But um <laughs> It was, a love, it was a lovely little spot, so if you're in the city of brotherly, brotherly love, I'd say check it out. Uh, I wanted to give them a little brotherly love because they, uh, they showed me a really fun time and a good night. But I also stumbled across this fun little uh, piece of news that came through this morning. Apparently, Souther, podcasters mm-hmm. are the most trusted media personalities among U.S. consumers, according to new research. Well, yes, you and I are trustworthy. That puts us in a power position. Yes, <laughs> it does. I know, which is actually, I mean, it's kind of cool. And it sort of makes sense, right? Because there is kind of a, a relationship that you have with, you know, there's there's a more kind of, I guess, emotional connection to podcasts because it's not like, I guess, turning on the news where it sort of feels like this very universal thing. It's like you seek out podcasts. So you find one that feels like it's it's been tailored for you, which I think is neat. Um, but it also means that we are uh, some of the most respected media personalities out there. So good for us. And and according to the statement, 75% of podcast listeners, I'm quoting here, 75% of podcast listeners say they have listened to a podcaster for a product endorsement compared to just 62% of social media users and 55% of cable viewers. So we are, in fact, super trusted to give uh, product endorsements. By the way, Souther, <laughs> don't you have a hot sauce coming out? Uh, I do. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so speaking of product endorsement, um, <laughs> I launched my cocktail mug, which I did in collaboration with Tiki Diablo on this past Monday. Now, so far, I've only sent out uh, the um, initial um, you know, net to my personal mailing list. Um, of about 10,000 people. I will be announcing it on social media, but I held off on social media 
so that I could launch my Kickstarter yesterday, my first ever personal Kickstarter. I, as you know, I'm doing one with Shaker and Spoon, but uh, for the better with bitters experience. But I've launched my own Kickstarter for my hot sauce, which is called Desert Curse. Uh, it is made with habanero, um, pineapple, and mezcal, making it ideal for both cocktail and culinary applications. The Kickstarter went live yesterday, and within 30 minutes, we blew past our initial goal. We are chasing right up now to our stretch goal of $10,000, uh, where we'll add more awards. And and I don't really know how Kickstarter works. It's my first one, but um, <laughs> it, it's fun. And it's fun to watch that little ticker climb with the money. So very excited to, to see that uh, uh, my Kickstarter is, is, well, I mean, I guess it's kicking off and it's starting this new endeavor for me. Um, you know, uh, I think... Um, I think our listener is pretty aware because, as you were saying, you, you create a relationship with your podcasts that you listen to. So I think our listener is pretty aware that I was a chef for a long time, and I'm definitely known as a drinks guy now. But I wanted to make a product that kind of got me to use my love of spicy food and drink, uh, and incorporate that into the cocktail world as well. So this this hot sauce is, I wouldn't say it was my primary design, but it is certainly designed to be delicious in in beverages as much as it is to be delicious on food. You know, like Tabasco is great hot sauce, and I love it. It's not so great in a cocktail, right? But but my sauce, given that it has booze in it, uh, and that's going to be the theme if I make other flavors, they'll always have some booze component. So this one uh, has mezcal in it, which gives it just a little smoky, earthy, mineral flavor on the backside of that habanero pineapple. It's really delicious. Can't wait to get some in your hands, Greg. Can't wait to get some in the hands of all the people who are already sponsoring the Kickstarter. And uh, we'll get it out there, man. Awesome, dude. And it, first yeah. of all, congratulations. And it's a good thing you held off on posting it on social media because it would have been 13% less reliable than coming out of the mouths of people, <laughs> of our listeners, two favorite podcasters here. Right. Well, um, that's about the mug, right? So the mug, uh, just real briefly, uh, it's beautiful. It says Cafe de l'Enfer on it, which just means cafe from hell. Obviously, I designed them for the bar, but then they, they take you know 18 months to two years to get produced by Tiki Diablo because he's so backed up all the time. And we had to move... Uh, avant-garden into the cafe and welfare space so the space doesn't exist anymore but luckily it's just a cool phrase the cafe from hell it's got a skull motif the the the, the base of the mug itself is a, a cloven um goat's foot it's uh very very cool and i created a digital ebook of recipes that uh, um of both originals and classics that fit the mug it's got a 22 ounce capacity so it's a nice sized mug for all your tropical style drinks it's really great and like i said uh, i've already already sold 30 percent of them i only made 100 um but they are beautiful so awesome i'm uh, i'm excited to go and grab mine uh, grab that and some desert curse from you as well all the uh all, all the perks of being a podcaster you just get all these fun things from uh from your sponsors and then i can endorse them on the show and it'd be great um speaking of which by the way i thought i thought this was interesting you know as as um I think one of the things on your Southern Teague bingo card is, as you might know, I used to be a chef, That's uh, right. which I which I think is is actually very fitting for our guest because I, I was Indeed. stoked about this when I was reading about the the backstory of our guest that we have in the studio, who also used to be a chef and has transitioned into the world of beverages, if not necessarily booze. So I'm really excited to introduce uh, Han Suk Cho of Cato and the founder of Zero Proof. Han, thank you so much for for joining us. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So you're coming to us live from Los Angeles, is that right? Yes. Awesome. So, so Han, you, um, as Greg just mentioned, you were a chef for quite some time, and you worked at some pretty baller spots, um, Providence and uh, 
I'm going to probably mispronounce Naka, right? Um, which boasts a lot of a collection, if you will, a constellation of Michelin stars. <laughs> um, and you were in the back of the house then. What what side of the kitchen were you on? Were you pastry or savory or did you dance a little in the middle? I was mostly in savory and mm-hmm. um, I was, I'll say I, I specialized, quote unquote, in like seafood. Mm. And I spent most of my time at Naka. Um, with fryers, different pots of fryers of tempura and whatnot, that like frying techniques in mm-hmm. like Japanese cuisine. So yeah, I'm a fish fryer. <laughs> well, I was a fishmonger for a while. I, I I was a seafood butcher for about two years in my career, um, uh, but n- nothing as uh, sort of avant garde as what you're doing, uh, what you were doing over there. And how long did you spend of your career uh, in kitchens? Oh. Um, so my career in kitchen is parallel to my career, my or, um, previous career in music. So I was also a professional musician since I was very young. And of course, to support that career, I had career in kitchen, like as a prep cook and a line cook in Korea. And... Once that music career asked me for more funding to be academically inclined for more stable jobs, I decided to get into like fully cooking because I just simply believed in open source education. So yeah, I was in kitchen for about 10 years, Korea and Los Angeles. And then after a while, I realized that working in the kitchen is very like physically demanding, also mentally demanding, but my just knees weren't working well as well. <laughs> and I just loved being in the food and beverage. So I um, shift my career towards to like front of the house or the beverage side. Well, before we jump all the way to that, which is current day, I want to. This was not in any of the notes anywhere that I saw or anything that I found about you. What sort of musician are you? Were you? I was a composer. What and what? What instruments did you play? I played um, guitar, um, contrabass, so like mostly strings. Yeah. And I studied um, classical music composition throughout college. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, like, yeah, uh, I wish Damon was here. I'm sure he'd have a lot to say about that because he's a musician as well. The the theme music for the speakeasy is from his band. He's uh, been in many bands throughout his life and travels uh, all over the place playing music. And uh, that's fascinating. It's a fascinating lifestyle. And do you still uh, at least dabble in that? Is it something you, you do to maybe relax or, or have you left Yeah, I still play like almost every day in the morning because oh. supposed to be good for your brain. I'm I like to keep my brain healthy. <laughs> Well, let me tell you what I did this morning. Yeah. I got up at the crack of 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know that Greg and I are uh, keeping our brains sharp. That's not uh, high on my list of uh, priorities. Uh, I'm out, uh, I went to two different events last night uh, and, got, and got up at around the crack of 10 as well. Um, but uh, that's fascinating. I'm uh, pleased to hear that you have uh, such a, a varied background. Um, and so that you spent a lot of time, 10 years, you say, in back of the house. 
Uh, and then as I think, you know, same with me, I was in back of the house for 12 years. I worked at a lot of crazy restaurants too. Um, and then I know why I moved to the front of the house. And it's probably not as uh, noble as the reasons you chose. Um, but uh, what what drew you to the front of the house? Because you're still on your feet, right? It's not helping your knees any. Maybe you're not lifting as much stuff. I always say uh, front of the house is a little bit softer because I don't get burned or cut as much. But I always <laughs> say as much. I still get burned and cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what drew you towards the front of the house? Um, so uh, when I think about like food and beverage business, especially restaurants, I like to analyze in different style of music. So like working in a, as a back of the house was very similar to being as a like classical, like performance musician. Yeah, very like technical, like technique driven and, you know, like countless practice for the, you know, concerts every night. But there is not much room for improvisation. And working as a front of the house was very much improvisation, like being like just like being as a jazz musician. So I like that different style and also like the guest facing role can be hard sometimes, but also sometimes when you really meet like lovely guests who are just really into what you do, you know, that kind of pays off all the hardships of being in this industry. And I really fell in love with that. I love that analogy too, because I mean, you never, you never think of like jazz musicians being down in the pit and out of sight, like they're up on a stage spotlighted, like you're kind of, you're supposed to see them and and get a little bit of that personality of them along with their music. Is that kind of Mm -hmm. something that I think you, you found a, a, a liking for as you moved to the front of the house? that kind of energy. Yeah. And like every guests are different and you have to think very quick to bring the best hospitality you can provide. And you have to be very like detail oriented and um, like specifically um, improvise. Like the spontaneity is very important, like as a front of the house. Right. In the back of the house, the ticket rolls in and you produce the product as spec'd every single time. Mirror mm-hmm. image of each one that goes out next, 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 next. But in the front of the house, you can tailor everything, right? You can tailor the martini to be drier or wetter or dirty or uh, upper on the rocks or twist or an olive based on the interaction with the guests. I know that's a pretty rudimentary example, but mm-hmm. that's really what we're driving at right in the front of the house. You get to be a, a quite a bit more um, autonomous from the machine that you're involved in. And that's why I love being as a bartender because being as a bartender is like in between of both worlds, like the good part of both work in the kitchen and being as a server because you still have to master your craft and practice over and over to make good drinks while you're interacting with guests. Yeah, the X factor there is the guest, right? When you're interacting with, say, the chef or the lead in the kitchen, again, it's pretty rote, right? It's going to be, here's what you're doing. We're going to do it over and over, um, just on my command, right? But the guest is a different guest every time, which makes them, you know, 
unique, each one of them, a unique entity with unique needs and unique t- desires, and they're in at different times. So every every part of it is, you know, this is a fascinating way to think of it. I've never uh, heard this analogy before, and I, I'm, I'm glomming onto it pretty quickly. Um, but you, you said the words in there, good drinks, and I know that you got to contribute some work to Juliana Bainbridge's book, Good Drinks. Um, talk to it's, us a little bit about about that experience and 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 how because Juliana's book is um, it's all non-alcoholic, right? So now you've mm-hmm. moved to the front of the house and you're behind the bar, but suddenly your interest is in the non-alcoholic aspect. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I moved to the front of the house position from the kitchen. Like I started as a um, server at Single Thread Restaurant in Sonoma, and. Um, my career in beverage actually starts with non-alcoholic beverages, um, not like alcoholic hmm. first. Oh, so I have the time. I have the timeline backwards. So your your beginning behind the bar was it was focused on NA. Yes. Well, lead us lead us through the trail. I, I'm fascinated yeah. to hear about it. So at that point, Single Thread Restaurant had the non-alcoholic pairing program but no one was in charge of it it was like a group effort between sommeliers and chefs and i was i've been always like fascinated about non-alcoholic beverages because um, some of my loved ones don't drink alcohol for various reasons and i always had the urge of creating just good non-alcoholic drinks that is not really available anywhere other than the ones that has lots of sugar or high fructose corn syrups. So I just demanded the position as a non-alcoholic pairing um, creator and they saw my experience in kitchen which can be very helpful for prepping wise. So I took the job and the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, so, so you said demanded, you went in and said, Hey, this is a position that needs to exist. You yes. should create it and I'll take it and I'll run with it. And, and, uh, tell us about the successes that that generated at that restaurant. Um, the sex success was quite, um, great <laughs> because, um, even though it's in a wine country, not, a lot of people go to that restaurant to drink wine or sometimes, you know, people were drinking wine all day and they don't necessarily want to drink more wine for dinner. So by the time I was um, taking in charge of program for a year, 30% of the pairing sales were alcohol free pairings. And there was like 2000, 17, like early 2018, where not many restaurants were grabbing onto non-alcoholic beverage program. And Julia Bainbridge at the time was writing this book and literally driving everywhere in the country to find non-alcoholic people and recipes. And she ended up stumbling upon Single Thread. We met and I provided a couple of recipes for her book. 
I mean, that's fascinating to know that you were kind of spearheading this thing that has become quite a juggernaut, right? Like the non-alcoholic movement has become very, very big and very, very profitable. And that's why so many people are rushing to market with products to uh, fill that need. Because um, mm-hmm. you did it at Single Thread and then you moved on to another restaurant where you did the same thing, Dialogue, right? Yes. And then um, I guess I would ask what took you from Dialogue to where in there does zero come in? Um, so about six months in a dialogue, um, I met many wonderful guests who encouraged me to bottle my pairings because they want to buy it and put it in their fridge. And then pandemic hit. So all the restaurants were closed and that's when I got the um, encouragement to myself that I mean, the the dreaded word arose, right? Pivot. We all had to pivot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So you pivoted and you started bottling cocktails for your own company Mm -hmm. and you are Mm -hmm. the, as we, as we talked off air, you're the. Uh, you're the founder, you're the president, you're the chief, you're, you're all the employees. There's only you. Um, (laughs) and you're still, are you still keeping up with zero? Does zero still produce products? Oh yeah, definitely producing products. Um, now we are in, uh, six restaurants in LA and we only distribute to restaurants because I encourage people to pair with food. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, so you don't sell direct to consumer? It's it's you're you're doing programs for for restaurants local. Yes, restaurants. That's incredible. Only, you know, like, I no have a restaurant shops. out there, and and I think I need some NA products. So you and I should talk off the air. Because <laughs> 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 NA, I, I've, we've spoken about it on the air a few times. Greg Damon and I. NA for me is a. I've had a really struggle with it. I'm I'm a, a very unique person. We all are, but um, I think I'm the total opposite of what you just mentioned about you have some loved ones who don't drink for whatever reason. Well, I don't drink anything non-alcoholic. I drink water and alcohol, and that's been going on for 24 years. My New Year's resolution in 2000 was to drink water only for a year, which I did. And at the end of 2000, I said, well, I can have alcohol again, but nothing else. So I don't drink Coke or any sodas. I don't drink juice, milk, coffee, tea. I drink water and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So coming up with non-alcoholic cocktails for me has has been a, a real uh, I don't know bugaboo. Very difficult. Um, so I'm happy to see and that there are products it? out there that I can just maybe grab a hold of and and employ. Um, so we should definitely talk off the air about getting some some of your products at my restaurant Ubuntu. <laughs> like like we said, like we said, podcasters are trusted advertisers. What can I say? Look at this. Yeah. In, in action right now. So they heard about this product in a podcast. And it's already interesting. <laughs> in a podcast that I'm doing. And I'll say what's different about um, Zero Proof is that a lot of NA drinks out as of moment are like wine alternatives or spirit alternatives but zero proof is very much soda alternative Mm -hmm. that is not sweet so it doesn't um the flavors are very like reminiscent of like sparkling wine or sparkling rosé but um not exactly mimicking the flavor so that any of any ages can enjoy oh got it 
Yeah, um, so this is this is something that I wanted to talk about, just kind of the the mental framework that you approach it with. Because I think Souther and I, when we've tried to do non-alcoholic concepts, have approached it from the same way of like, okay, we're looking at it uh, from a mindset of substitution, almost, of like, you yeah, know, I, I want to find... Yeah, like I want to use whiskey for this, but I can't. So like, what can I do instead that's going to get us there? Is that, it sounds like that might not be the way that you're approaching it though. You're sort of approaching it as from a whole, trying to create a whole new thing. And I love this idea of having a non-alcoholic beverage director because you never, at a, a, a restaurant that was worth its salt, I mean, I'm sure the sommelier could <laughs> probably step in and write uh, the cocktail program, but they wouldn't do it as well as if you had like a beverage director who is there to do that, you know? So it's, it, I guess I just want to hear a little bit about your your creative process and how you come up with some of these ideas. Yeah, when I was first creating the um, pairing program, it was very important to create something that is not like mimicking spirits or wine. I'll take like flavors and ideas from it, but like, how do I say this? There are also people who's never drank alcohol in their life before. And bring them a mimic of whiskey isn't really gonna like touch their heart, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And like creating something like totally different or something that is maybe like universally nostalgic, but as an adult to drink. And that idea <laughs> actually grabbed onto me more. And just, you know, I'm a. I'm a composer, like creating something new has been like very big part of my life and doing it like through drinks that is, which is like most interactive um, way of art. So, yeah. I love that. And I, I, I want to, it seems like, I feel like no one brings up things that have a nostalgic connection without having an, an example in their back pocket ready to go of some some nostalgic connection that they've made with some of their their drinks. Can you give us an example of something that's kind of touched a, a nostalgic nerve for you that you've created? Yeah. Um, so as a kid, I used to hike alone a lot, which could have been dangerous now that I think of it. But <laughs> eh, You survived. You're here. You made it. You did fine. <laughs> yeah, and in Korea, um, lots of mountains are like filled with pine trees because that's their national tree. So, like, just smelling like fresh pine was like my daily routine in the morning, and brought their me- that memory because pine tree grows almost everywhere, unless like there's like hot climate. But so I created pine soda with foraged pine needles and like hint um like squeeze of sudachi which is a young yuzu juice so like nice bright refreshing and just simple like you know nothing too like crazy i would not put (laughs) more than like three Three Pretty like simple. Elements. Just went out and forged some pine needles. Uh, got a hold of some sudachi. <laughs> uh, you know, force carbonated it. Uh, nothing. Yeah, nothing exactly. Yeah. yeah. Snap, snap. <laughs> easy, easy peasy. <laughs> uh, I mean, but uh, but I do understand what you're saying. Quite a, a universal aroma. But we all, mm-hmm. you, know, you say pine, everyone can can sense that and smell that right away uh, from their own sense memories. And then to put it in a bottle um, uh, and offer it as a beverage, uh, I'm sure. Uh, again, just touched on a lot of people at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
and was that one of your first uh, sort of creations in in this realm? Yeah, that's definitely one of the first one. And the second one I got a lot of popularity was um, warm sesame milk that is seasoned with like uh, ginger juice. And the thing about wine pairing is the um, spectrum of temperature is quite limited. And through my non-alcoholic pairing, I tried to break that. So I would pair with like warm drinks or like pair with like different texture, like thick and thin. So the sesame milk was very thick, warm and hearty pairing that didn't really exist before. Hmm. That's you know. incredible. And I, and I definitely want to get more into talking about pairing these things with food. Cause that is something I'm, I'm really curious to talk to you about. You did a 20 course pairing dinner that I absolutely want to dive into. But <laughs> before we do that, we should uh, take a quick break and hear from some of our sponsors. So we'll be right back talking with Han Suk Cho here on the Speakeasy. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. And today we are talking with Han Suk Cho, the founder of Zero Proof and the best new bartender of 2023, according to Punch. So congratulations to you on that, um, mm-hmm. especially because as we were discussing in the top half of the show, uh, your career is based around making Zero Proof NA beverages. Um which I think is very cool that that is something that a major publication like Punch is taking so seriously. I think that's right. a huge win for everyone that's working in the non-alcoholic space. Uh, but I also want to talk on about something we touched on right before the break, which is food pairings for these. Uh, you did a a twenty course dinner pairing with your zero proof beverages, but also many, many times a night, you do pairings with a ton of dishes that come out at your at your home restaurant. So talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us a little bit about creating a, a pairing menu with non-alcoholic stuff and maybe some of the extra freedoms that it gives you that that maybe uh, booze hounds like Southern and I haven't necessarily thought of. Yeah, plus the aspect of like, uh, just to jump in, plus the aspect of like, you know, sharing, uh, it's a collaborative work when you do a pairing. So you're, 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 you're working with the the kitchen team. You're working probably with some purveyors, maybe even some farmers. Um, Yeah. Talk about the whole sort of like sphere of it. Yeah. So 
I live in、um, California, where there are amazing produce, like seasonal produce, all year round, and、um, creating beverages. Like sustainability is very important for my ethos. So,、um, creating、um, pairings for twenty courses. Um, in that food menu, the idea, the concept was、um, included three seasons: the one that was before, and one you're currently in, and the one that's coming up. So, for example, if you're in fall, your menu was highlighting summer, fall, and winter. And One of my favorite things to do is buying like brews and like not exactly the perfect quote unquote produce that farmers cannot sell, and utilizing those to my drinks because that helps farmers. And it's you know it's drinks. I don't need like a perfect garnished herbs and strawberries. <laughs> and Yeah, creating twenty course. Trying to think how I did that, <laughs> and、um, yeah, also utilizing lots of like kitchen scraps, like peels, trims, and ends. Just bring you know everything I can possibly, and making balanced drinks, and. I personally think making food delicious and making drink delicious is not the hardest part. That's actually the easiest part. But、um, relating, like the memories and touching people's heart with these limited things, is the hard part, and that's what I mostly like focused on. Yeah, I noticed in in conversation here, you've used terms that are there's pretty pointedly emotional several times, touching people's heart, loved ones,、uh, um, you know,、uh, passion, etc. Talk to us a little bit about like about about that specifically. How how are you emotionally tied to the work that you do, and how does that translate itself into the glasses that you push across the bar? Yeah, being、uh, coming from like music. Industry, like especially being as a composer,、um, putting my sincerity to my work has been like very big part of my life. And a lot of times when I was composing music, I would be like extremely depressed for time to time because I was just writing like very sad pieces, and that.、Um, That tied and then moved on to my、um, drink and food creating process as well because I genuinely believe the sincerity translates to any creative works. Yeah, I mean, I would、uh, absolutely fully agree with that, and that's、uh, you know, again, I think it's a very unique position that you are coming from,、uh, having this musical background and the way that you simply view the world around you. It sounds quite fascinating and, frankly, a little bit sort of tranquil. Um, but we work in a fast-paced, you know,、um, semi-chaotic environment when we're at bar and restaurant, right?、Um, I agree, and, except for the semi part. But sure, 
well, <laughs> you know, if I, there's something to be said about fine dining. It's a little bit more tranquil, um, you know. Um, but uh, this leads to something I think you want to talk about, uh, which is um, career management. It seems mm-hmm. to me that you've been pretty aware of where you have been when you've been there and what that's going to mean to your next steps. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you feel about how you managed your own career and maybe how you see that other people could uh, better themselves a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of like restaurant and bar industry, like this career isn't their first choice. A lot of, you know, artists and other industry people get into this FNB to support their um, quote-unquote original passion, which isn't always um, profitable. And you get into um, this restaurant industry and work extremely hard like you were doing, but working hard itself isn't always get you somewhere. And I've been very like fortunate that I was able to move from kitchen to front of the house to bar and like find great like work, work environments and you know like burnouts are also like very very common nowadays or it's been common because of the poor career management and just like a um, sense of urgency like people don't really teach you how to get there or how to have that and yeah we i think we're we're lacking mentors right now right i think that yes. the, the the mentorship has faded a, a little bit it was kind of i think already in decline and i think with the pandemic a lot of sort of veteran players in both front and back of the house moved on to other uh, career paths leaving kind of a gap mhm and like Food and beverage industry is like a mixture of like you need this for survival, but it's also an art form. It's one of very like unique industry to do that and not having like enough mentors. And it's not even like it's nobody's fault that we don't have many mentors. It's just very like hard industry where you have to really think about yourself. So I've been very lucky to meet a um, couple of mentors, but also like meeting like good colleagues, like peers and supporting each other. It's like, that's been very important. Yeah. Well, I know that you work at Cato with, with one of my, uh, you know, former employees, Austin Henley. Um, and I know that you guys are open five nights a week and the entire team works full time. Correct. So you're all there all together all the time, which I'm certain builds camaraderie and also builds (laughs) to pull from the music world that's going to build some rhythm together right you dance Mm -hmm. better together you understand one another better uh you know in in most of the bars and restaurants that we we get to work in you your schedule may be totally different than someone else's you may only see someone once every week um so you'd never get to kind of build that rapport uh, and be in concert with one another so I'm certain that that helps. I do want to mention that um, Cato was awarded the um, exceptional cocktail, the, the only the second year, right, of the exceptional cocktail award from Michelin, 
which is amazing because you already have a Michelin star for the restaurant itself. And now for the second year in a row, Michelin has come out with this exceptional cocktail award. And then I want to blow my own horn a little bit and say that, uh, you know, you took it over there, which Austin Henley is the head of the bar. And the previous year, when the when the award was uh, in its inaugural year, it was taken by Mansky, also out in L.A., which is uh, uh, led by another former Maury Margo employee, Kyle Hunter Bailey. So um, you're getting great accolades. And uh, when Austin was on, he mentioned that the non-alcoholic um, pairing, because you offer a, a full pairing for the, for the dinner menu that's non-alcoholic, sells about 20% per night, which is, that's incredible. Yes, um, it has definitely gotten up since we got the award, which we're very, very grateful. And yeah, our um, most of our guests just don't drink alcohol. Hmm. Yeah, for so many different reasons. And just providing something like great to drink which like rounds up the full hospitality especially i mean for example um a couple weeks ago we had a family of three it was a mother and their children um, celebrating the mother's birthday and she told us that she doesn't drink alcohol so she'll just drink water and her children can drink cocktails and I don't think she encountered any like alcohol-free, like good alcohol-free options in her life. So I just poured her the alcoholized sparkling rosé like on me so that she can cheers with her children. And I think that really like touched her mind and opened up her eyes that there are options and we are just we'd love to you know show that option so she can feel included and which right. also like touched our minds and such a great you know nice moment in hospitality sure of course she was there to celebrate and she was going to uh, you know raise a glass with her with her kids of water and you gave her something else that made her feel a little bit more celebratory and included i think now i've only been to the bar uh, to the restaurant twice and i sat at the bar both times once i was alone and once i was with a friend but um I believe in my heart of heart, and, and Austin and you poured me tastes of, of many of the cocktails around the menu, as well as the NAs. I believe that if, as a guest, if I were at a table of four, I would order, I, I'm personally going to have the cocktail pairing, uh, whoever has wine or whatever else at the table, I would order the non-alcoholic pairing for the table, just to have one to try them all, right? Mm -hmm. If I go to a restaurant as quality as Cato uh, or, you know, Michelin level, I want to try what they're offering, right? And Cato only does a tasting menu. There's no a la carte, right? So you're going to get everything from the kitchen. I would be, I would be absolutely willing to plunk down the money to get everything from the bar as well. That's great to hear. <laughs> I'm your, I'm your <laughs> ideal customer. <laughs> she, yeah. So and many, yeah, so many good products on this podcast today. <laughs> that Southern can't can't wait to try. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's um cool thing is um. After our guests find out that there are alcohol-free like pairings and cocktail options, people who like often drink alcohol still decide to get non-alcoholic pairings. Yeah, like what I often see is people will start with alcoholic cocktail and then have non-alcoholic pairings so that they don't get like too buzzed or you know sometimes they just want to get something that is not wine or something that's different and then like end with 
you know, a little need tomorrow. Yeah, which is you like can... you're having like all like whole different experience in one sitting. Yeah, why not? I I definitely personally have been to tasting menus where there was an alcoholic pairing, and you know you you start getting buzzed, and then the next day you're you're having a little bit of trouble remembering, you know, the the last several courses, right? So why not temper yourself throughout the meal so that you can not only have the great time of enjoying it, but you can have the great memory of having had it as well. Yeah, and also everybody's like alcohol intake level is different, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people go with the pairing, go with the alcoholic pairing for the pressures. But by providing different options, I think the guests can actually look at themselves and be honest with what they can do. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I love also the philosophy that you're approaching this from, which is not not to view it as an alternative. You know, I think for so long, the NA programs at, at bars have kind of been like, you know, a, a, like the cocktails poor cousin, for example. Um, and there isn't the you don't feel the same to touch on a point that Southern made earlier. You don't feel the same passion behind it that there is behind like the cocktail program or the wine program or the beer program. But I think what's important is that you're not thinking of this as an alternative. You're thinking of this as a whole other branch of things that that the very talented team at Cato and and the other spots that you've worked with can offer and I think that that is it seems to me the key for really making an NA program that can account for 20% of beverage sales at the end of a, of a month yeah it, I think it's incredible I think it's incredible that you've got so many eyes on you and I think it's incredible that you've got so many um participants people are people are they're, they're, they're there, they're there for it and they're, they're showing it. Uh, you know, it's, I think maybe a little bit unique that you're in LA, everybody has to drive everywhere. People thought I was crazy. Cause I walked everywhere when I was out there, I walked all the way over to Cato and people were, I can't believe you walked. Um, so, you know, people are, are tempering themselves here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm like, you got the most beautiful, wide, very clean sidewalks and nobody's on them. <laughs> Nobody. Wow. You know, that, I walk like, God, two, okay. I've actually like never two been to miles and never pass a human being. Um, that sounds amazing. I've never been to LA and everyone tells me that I'm too much of a New Yorker to enjoy it. I'm like, no, that my least favorite thing about this city is when you're on one of our garbage and rat riddled sidewalks <laughs> and there's three people Selling walking in a line in front of you. I know greatest city in the fucking world, people. Um, yeah. uh, no, I always say New York city sucks, which is why it's a real shame. It's the greatest place on earth. But like, right. God, a sidewalk. I feel like I've had dreams about sidewalks where there is no one in front of you and no trash and no rats. That is okay. All right. That's it's settled. I'm also sold on the product I've heard about on this podcast. I'm coming yes. out to I'm walking to Cato when I'm in LA. <laughs> well, Han, we're we're sadly coming to the end of this thing here. Um it, where can people follow along with what's going on with you, what's going on with uh, uh zero and 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 what's going on with Cato? Yeah, you can um, follow me on my Instagram account um, at the Hansuk Cho, uh, T-H-E-H-A-N-S-U-K-C-H-O. And for my company, Zero Proof is um, Zero Proof Bevs, uh, also Instagram. Right, Zero Proof Bevs. And speaking of Zero Proof and speaking of being an influencer, if any restaurants are listening that are out in L.A., um, do you service anybody outside of L.A. or is it just L.A.? 
Just LA. We yeah, are yeah, at so, Tsubaki, Kin, and four other restaurants. Yeah, great. So if any restaurants are listening and, and want to have some some award winning uh, NA options on their uh, on their list, uh, reach out to reach out to Zero. Um, Han, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's early for you uh, over there, um, and uh, uh, I don't know. I, I can't wait to visit Kato again. I'll be out there. Uh, before the end of the year to do some work in my restaurant in LA's and, and, and again, every I've been out there twice and I've been to Kato twice. So every time I come, I, I come sit at the bar. So I look forward to seeing you behind the bar again. Look forward to see you again. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's it for this episode of the speakeasy. Um, to go check out my uh, Kickstarter for my hot sauce, uh, Desert Curse. You can find it on Kickstarter and you can back that product. Uh, and then hopefully I'll get some uh, out to you ASAP. Um, we're uh, approaching our next stretch goal already. So I'm over the moon and thrilled with how well the, the, the Kickstarter is doing. Um, I'll be uh, blasting out to social media about my mugs. If you're interested in one of those, I've only got 70 left. I only made 100. I've already sold 30. Um and uh, yeah, I guess that's it for this episode of the Speakeasy. Uh, please uh, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click on the beating heart so that you can donate to keep shows like this one on the air um, and tune in next week for whatever we're talking about next week, guys. Uh, thanks so much and cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. It's gonna get you